Anyway, we are back. We had hoped to uh, make a little field trip down to Sacramento's tent city in the wake of Oprah Winfrey drawing international attention to uh, this gathering. The story had previously been covered well by the Sacramento News and Review, and we hope that uh, we can go down there with R.V. Scheid and take a look around. It's been contended by Oprah that this tent city consists of a large number of people who have uh, been part of the recent financial meltdown. This correspondent is highly skeptical of that claim and would like to go take a look at myself and see firsthand. So hopefully we'll do that and be able to talk about it with R.V. Scheid uh, in the next week or two. Also mentioned last week, we might uh, read from this book, Rules of Thumb, and see if we can find someone to comment on them. I haven't really got that set up yet, but it's such an entertaining book, I think I'm going to pull one or two more out of it. From the field of law and crime, we have advice from Stephen Verbit, attorney, who said, If your lawyer tells you the prospective lawsuit is a, quote, slam dunk, unquote, retain a new lawyer as soon as possible. Here's one we really, really don't have any background data to, uh, to judge, but according to the rulesofthumb.org review board, I don't know where they got this, if you think you're being watched, position yourself so the suspect is in sight, and then look at your wristwatch. The suspected watcher will most likely look at his or hers as well. You have to admit, it does sound like something out of Get Smart. Anyway, by way of follow-up, we're sorry to note that uh, last year's guest, or was it the year before? I can't remember. David Wallachinsky, who talked about his annual review of the world's 10 worst dictators. Well, he's done it again. And uh, I'm, I'm quite appalled, but agree with the choice at number one, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe. Noted Wallachinsky, inflation in Zimbabwe is so bad that in January the government released a $50 billion note, enough to buy two loaves of bread. The unemployment rate is currently 85%. Although you noticed in the news of late, he signed a power-sharing agreement with opposition leader Morgan Changarai, but since then he's broken its terms and installed his own people at the heart of every ministry. Apparently also Mr. Changarai and his wife were the victim of an auto wreck, a deliberate auto wreck uh, induced by Mugabe in which apparently Mr. Changarai's wife was killed. To quote from The Economist about this guy, Robert Mugabe was in a festive mood as he celebrated his 85th birthday on February 21st. He told his 2,000 or so partying guests, land distribution will continue. The few remaining white farmers should quickly vacate their farms as they have no place there. I'm still in control and hold executive authority. Adding Zimbabwe's president seems to have forgotten his recent power-sharing deal with Morgan Changarai and his movement for democratic change, which included an agreement to end the seizure of white-owned farms. Should be noted that of the 5,600-odd white commercial farmers in Zimbabwe when Mugabe came to power in 1980, barely 250 are still on their land, and Mugabe would like to vacate them all and give the land to his cronies. It is curious also to note that in a multiracial society, deliberate discrimination against white people, for some reason, has failed to attract international censure. And no, I can't explain why that is. But uh, back to the Wallachinsky article, uh, health conditions have reached a crisis level. More than 3,800 Zimbabweans have died from cholera since August. And I don't know, I guess it's wrong to wish that somebody would just drop dead, but I wish this guy would just drop dead. And here's something regarding 
foreign countries that I am unable to resist commenting upon. There was an article, I think, in the Sacramento Bee, and I know for sure in the News and Review last year, about a guy in a straw hat who was proudly announcing he'd packed up and moved to Costa Rica. He had all kinds of reasons for doing this. As I recall, it had to do with the politics of the U.S. and he was the fact that he was fed up with it. I've been meaning to reread that article and comment upon it, and I, and I still need to do that, but let's just talk about the update to it first. This guy resurfaced with a, with a special to the Sacramento Bee, which noted that this freelance writer who moved to Costa Rica has changed his mind and moved back to Sacramento as of last week. The article started out with a background piece of data. In 2005, my soon-to-be ex-wife and I sold our house in a then-sizzling market. I took half my windfall and decided to move to Costa Rica. Question from the B. Because you love the country so? Answer. I'd never been there. Question. Oh, because then after diligent research, it captivated you. Answer. All I knew about Costa Rica was it was army-less and a bunch of birds lived in it. I could locate it on a map after, you know, finally finding it on a map. Question. Okay, then, because... Answer. Let's move on, shall we? In April 2008, I made the leap and moved into my nearly finished house in Verdant Mountains. My contractor had an excuse for my home's incompleteness. He'd had only 21 months to construct it. I arrived sick. Days later, I had a falling out with a neighbor whom I'd been hoping to count on for support. So much for the good week. I went to the National Telecommunications Company, ICE, pronounced ICE, for a cell phone number. They'd run out. A new concept, this. A phone company sans phone numbers? Had the phone number factory been struck? Was a shipping container delayed in customs? I borrowed a neighbor's extra cell phone until new numbers were offered. Eight months later. In May, a days-long tropical storm unleashed wild winds and torrential rains. Oh, we never get storms like this, said the locals. Let me just summarize the rest of the article for you. I'm frankly amazed that a guy who can't find Costa Rica on the map and knows nothing about it moves there writes back home using all of his skills as a freelance writer to tell, to tell the world why this is a smart move. Then a year later, when finding out due to lack of his own planning, and of course the fact that things are maybe not as quite efficient down there in some respects as they are here, he has to move back. Anyway, this completes a trilogy of articles from this guy. The first in January of 2008 was titled, Sacramento, You've Never Been Better, See Ya. And last September, he wrote about how content he was with his decision and how friendly he found his new countrymen. But now it turns out because the weather was rainier than he expected and the roof wasn't fixed the way he'd like, it's wah, wah, wah. Anyway, the lesson that I see out of all of this is before you travel to a foreign country, let alone decide to move there, do a little research. These days, there's a lot of information freely, freely available on the internet. You can also talk to people that have been there. And if you say you elect to move to the country, you might want to make a few trips just kind of as reconnaissance runs to get the lay of the land. You know what I mean? Let's talk science. Let's talk wall-to-wall -wall science. We're way behind on science topics. Let's start with this remarkable a bit of insight from Marilyn Vos Savant, reputedly the world's smartest woman. I love this question she was asked in last Sunday's parade. I'm a bit phobic about germs. Is there a gracious way to decline shaking a person's hand? Said Marilyn, 
You won't catch anything from shaking hands. Disease transmission doesn't occur until you touch your mouth or nose afterward. But if you're still concerned, try this. Preempt the other person's move by smiling and nodding first. If he or she extends a hand anyway, say, nice to meet you, and leave yours just where it is. If that fails, just shake the hand warmly. Then keep your hands away from your face and any food until you get a chance to wash them. Medically speaking, that's, that's actually pretty good advice, but, but, but easier said than done. All right, let's return to this topic. We've hit it before. According to New Scientist magazine, Ritalin, which is prescribed to children with hyperactivity disorders, uh, well, many American teenagers also take it without a prescription to boost academic performance or just for pleasure. While it's been noted that hyperactive children prescribed the drug don't usually show signs of addiction, those who take it for pleasure do. This is based on studies in mice. We reported on the great American experiment uh, treating ADHD and ADD with uh, amphetamine as a, as a colossal a clinical trial where we're conducting without adequate controls. And speaking of brain chemistry, they now think, the scientists now think they understand why locusts form swarms, why, uh, why they become basically plagues of biblical proportions every so often. It turns out that it has to do with brain chemistry inside those little insect brains. Serotonin apparently initiates swarming bacteria in locusts. And I would add, as far as I know, also college students. Yes, serotonin, that brain chemical whose release is boosted by such antidepressants as Prozac, is the reason why normally solitary desert insects turn into swarming critters capable of ravaging crops. It came from research at the University of Cambridge. Although it was noted that blocking serotonin could, in theory, be an environmentally friendly way of battling such swarms. Biologist Stephen Rogers noted that usually what ends them is about 11,000 liters of insecticide. One thing does seem clear, though. If you want to avoid the biblical plagues, do not let your locusts near your Prozac. And uh, when I was at work, uh, I don't know, about six months ago, one of the, uh, the office gals asked me if there was any medication uh, she could take to prevent um, stage fright. She had to do some public speaking and was you know, fearful of that uh, butterflies in the stomach that I think all of us experience sooner or later. If any of you find yourself in this fix, the drug that is commonly used is the antihypertensive propanolol, to which I would add, please, consult your physician. Well, it turns out researchers over in the Netherlands have found some other uses for propanolol. Apparently, this beta blocker uh, can suppress strong physical responses to stress. That's part of what it does when it's... Uh, lowering your blood pressure, but also appears to retrain the brain not to react to a bad memory and may actually weaken the memory itself. This uh, may, of course, have some applications in uh, the area of dealing with uh, stress and emotional uh, disorders. Of course, once again, we're facing that option in America of, well, you got a problem, you just take a pill. Not always the best approach. And when it comes to bad memories, uh, a lot of research of late has indicated that, um, uh, that uh, they're not necessarily accurate memories. Recently, Yale psychiatrist C. Andrew Morgan conducted mock prisoner of war interrogations, interrogations on U.S. soldiers, then showed them photos of various men using psychological tricks to encourage them to identify a man they'd never seen as their interrogator. 
Surprisingly, 85% of the soldiers wound up identifying the wrong man. This finding supports other research by University of California psychologist Elizabeth Loftus, who has shown that she can easily plant false memories into the minds of study subjects. Loftus has advocated that uh, criminal identifications, while they should carry little weight in court. And when it comes to uh, forming memories, research continues to to prove that uh, the brain is constantly forming new neurons. We were told when I went to medical school that whatever you had was what you had, and that you were losing them, something like 100,000 brain cells a day, every day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it turns out it just ain't so. That's been relegated to the ash heap of neuroscience, along with the incredibly erroneous data, which you see circulating all the time, that, you know, we only use 10% of our brains. Although I would add, it does seem clear that 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 is true, at least in some people's cases. Anyway, there's been some uh, data that came out of Australia last fall regarding some uh, genetically altered mice. that they, they give them a drug and it would switch on proteins that would develop nerve cells or not and discovered that, well, guess what? In the mice that couldn't develop new nerve cells, well, they didn't learn as well. The speculation is that we need to grow some new cells to learn. And an uh, item about learning uh, unconsciously, research by Joel Voss of Northwestern University at Evanston, Illinois, showed volunteers 12 kaleidoscopic images for two seconds while they were performing an unrelated number task to distract them. When asked to choose later whether they'd seen these uh, images flash before them uh, and, and, and how sure they were about it, whether they had a feeling they were right or just guessing, well, it turned out the folks just kind of had a feeling they were right. They were right 70 to 80% of the time, or they'd only, it was only 50% by chance. Added the article in New Scientist, if you've ever felt paranoid about subliminal messages, you might be right to worry. Because the images we're seeing, even if they don't consciously register, have been shown to inform people's decision-making. And some other exciting news in the neurosciences, it appears that um, there's this exciting new treatment out for multiple sclerosis. MS is, is a disease in which a person's own immune system attacks the fatty myelin sheaths that wrap around our nerve cells. Apparently, Richard Burt of Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago took some MS patients and rebuilt for them a new immune system from their own stem cells. This is obviously pretty serious treatment. You knock out the person's existing immune system and replace it. When they did so, they found the new immune system was not continuing to attack the myelin sheaths. It's too early to say at this point whether the immune systems might still revert to attacking myelin at a later date, but uh, this is good news for sufferers of MS. I must say this does sound like a rather desperate, uh, desperate treatment measure. All right, and some other good news. We have this item. After seven years of withholding funds for ideological reasons, the United States will resume contributions to the UN Population Fund, UNFPA, which is the world's biggest backer of programs to improve women's reproductive health and rights. On March 11th, President Obama announced the U.S. will offer $50 million, which is a tenth of the UNFPA's existing budget. While on my trip to Central America, I was uh, reading an interesting article um, from New Scientist, our favorite science magazine, about how scientists are now planning a couple of things, how we might uh, geoengineer the world to stop global warming, and uh, things we may want to do if it just proceeds, uh, you know, a pace anyway, which is, you know, 
actually some fairly grim reading. At least if you have any intention of keeping the world population uh, at its present level of 7 billion. I mean, we're talking about mass migrations of human beings. And, uh, you know, given the political status of the world, it's just not likely that any given nation is going to let people come from other countries across the border in huge, vast numbers. It's a pretty big topic. We're going to have to save that one for a future show. Uh, how about this item? As if we didn't have enough to worry about. Article in the March 21st New Scientist talks about uh, the Carrington event. We've actually discussed this on this program, the fact that in 1859, when electrical wiring was just getting set up around the world to uh, basically transmit uh, telegraph lines, there was a huge solar storm, the likes of which we have not seen in the last 150 years. At that time, there were stunning auroras around the world, even at equatorial latitudes. The world's telegraph uh, networks experienced severe disruptions, and the Victorian magnetometers were just knocked off the scale. If this happens again, and this is one of those events that's, that's not really a, it's not really an if, it's, it's a when, this could absolutely wreak havoc on the world's electrical grids and all of what those electrical grids drive. Not just computers, but things like water pumps. I recommend that uh, all of you take a look at this article. It's another item we're going to return to in the future, but... Uh, one, one aspect of it really struck me. There is a NASA satellite out there, the NASA's Advanced Comp Composition Explorer, ACE. It was launched in 1997 and is parked in a solar orbit that gives us about 15 minutes of warning if one of these uh, big blasts is about to hit the Earth. Actually, it might even give us as much as 45 minutes warning in some cases. Well, guess what? The satellite's getting old. Even those know that power companies need about 15 minutes to prepare their systems for a critical event, uh, and thus making the satellite rather important. Well, it's getting on in years, and there doesn't seem to be any major plan afoot to replace it. In fact, it's now operating well beyond its planned lifespan. This is an example of the kind of thing we should be spending money on as a nation. By the way, if you're interested in this stuff, and you probably should be, there's an excellent website called spaceweather.com, which has some very, very uh, fascinating data on it. But anyway, we need to add this to the world or national to-do list. Replace NASA's ACE spacecraft. Anyway, we're just running short on time here. Had a chance at our most recent uh, public affairs meeting here on this station to chat with Jason of This Week in Science whom we, uh, we expect to bring on this program uh, at some point in the future, noted him that, you know, the kind of the kind of science story that I hate is like, scientists expect to find X. You know, that wears a bit thin. Okay, go out and find X and then tell us about it, okay? Case in point, I am, I am just, I've had it with hearing about the Higgs boson. Okay, it's this wonderful particle that's going to explain why things in the universe have mass. Great. Go find it and then tell us about it. Of course, having said that, I, I can't resist again mentioning this fascinating article by uh, Jeff Hecht, which was reviewing the book How to Build a Dinosaur, Extinction Doesn't Have to Be Forever by Jack Horner and James Gorman. Talk about how if you knew which genes to switch on and off, you could basically take a chicken and recreate a dinosaur. No, you don't need amber. You don't need the whole Jurassic Park thing. You don't need to get, like, blood cells that have been preserved inside, you know, stinging insects in amber for 60 million years. 
we almost certainly are still carrying around the genes from that era. You know, no matter which animal we're talking about, from, from us to a chicken, I mean, what, what came before us evolutionarily should still be there. It's an interesting thought experiment, but, uh, but no one's going to be creating a Tyrannosaurus Rex out of a chicken anytime soon. And if you think about it, that, that has to be a good thing. All right, two final items. Speaking of dinosaurs, it turns out that feathered dinosaurs, they're saying, may have been the rule, not the exception. A stunning new fossil from China reveals primitive filamentary feathers on a dinosaur only distantly related to birds, indicating that all dinosaurs may share a feathery ancestry. Pretty interesting. Now, certain types of dinosaurs are so clearly the, uh, the, 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 the ancestors of birds that people are even arguing whether these types of, of, of dinosaurs were in fact birds, which gets a bit hair-splitting, I'd say. But in 1997, uh, the, the world was startled by a, uh, a feathered dinosaur, which came from a, t- a two-legged predator called theropods, which are the ones that gave rise to birds. But this latest fossil comes from a dinosaur about 100 to 140 million years ago. And this pushes back the, uh, the feathered dinosaur to uh, near the branch point, or the kind that are bird-like split off from the kind that are more lizard-like. There's even speculation now that the flying dinosaurs, the pterosaurs, well, some fossils appear to have some hair-like stubble on them. They might have had feathers, too. We reported that uh, scientists have found methane plumes on certain areas of Mars. And since methane gets stripped away by Mars' lacking an ozone layer and particles which, you know, basically degrade it, we know it's got a fresh source. Now, some sources of methane could be chemical processes, but what really fascinates people is the possibility that they're being produced by biology under the surface of Mars. Scientists analyzing images from the Mars Odyssey spacecraft at NASA's Johnson Space Center have identified dozens of mounds in the northern plains of Mars that are near these regions where methane plumes have been identified. They have a striking resemblance to mud volcanoes on Earth. This is pretty good news for those who would like to go look for alien microbes on Mars because these mud volcanoes would be bringing up, uh, you know, fine soil, which is basically mud, to the surface, allowing us to plop over to that area and take a look. It's thought that uh, these types of, um, uh, of soils, mud, of course, representing a very fine type of sediment, uh, well, that could be doing the work that scientists would like to do in the way of drilling on the surface. That, that's currently beyond our present level of technology. But if you pick the right spot, you might not have to drill. Mars might already have done the work for you. Needless to say, in the years to come, scientists are going to be very keen to take a look at that clay that's uh, forming the, the mud in these structures. Anyway, our good, plan- our good friends of the Planetary Society will no doubt weigh in on that one for us in the not-too-distant future. Weird science.